For six years now, we've been doing this uh, difficult question series. You may remember, you were here some months ago, maybe, and you filled out a card. Here's a difficult question I'd like to hear addressed in a Sunday morning service. So we give you those cards, we pass them back in. Last time we did this, you all went crazy. You guys went nuts. You turned in 129 difficult questions you wanted to hear, you know, I guess, in 52 weeks. I don't know what you're thinking. So, uh, yeah, so I got them all out. I read all these questions. I thought, oh, i got to sort these into piles. So I got 26 different topics. And then one of them was twice as high as any other. And thank you for your questions, and thank you for your spiritual hunger. But dang. All right, so <laughs> 20, 20 questions you had about heaven and hell, twice as many as any other. So I can't get 20 questions in a message, so we're going to do two messages, two-part tour of heaven and a little bit about hell as well because you had those and uh, based on your questions. So let's begin our tour. We're going to start our tour just here on earth right where we are. We got some binoculars because we're going to look out and say, is there really anything else out there, heaven, hell, anything other than this? These are actually real binoculars. So yes, I see you texting there. Um, <laughs> Let's hear, let's hear your first question. One of you asked this, why would an all-powerful, all-knowing, almighty God send people to hell? Why would he make it so that Jesus would have to die for our sins when he could just remove the need for sacrifice completely? That's a, a very fair question, but deep, deep. My answer is gonna be, that God does not send people to hell. Rather, people choose hell over God. And to the second part, if we take away, if God were to take away the sacrifice of Jesus, we probably would not really believe that God loves us or forgives us at all. Now let's unpack the answer. We all sin. We all sin. It's 11 in the morning. I have plenty to repent for already. I amaze myself. Um, most of us feel quite bad about our sin. But let's be honest. Let's be brutally honest. Sometimes us and sometimes other people don't. Don't feel bad about sin. I have played for you in different messages the, the phone calls that were coming out of the offices of Enron, you know, where the guys were laughing about stealing old ladies' retirement and figuring out how they could steal more, how they could make a fake energy crisis in California and just hose an entire state, and they're giggling. They like it. They're at the very top of it. Last year at Christmas time. Uh, we were selling a piece of furniture on Craigslist. This guy emails us and said, I want to buy your furniture. I live far away. It's expensive to ship. So I was wondering, I will send you a check if you'll then send a money order to the shipping company to come pick it up. I thought that was a slightly strange arrangement, but I looked and there, there's a website for the shipping company and we had his check and all this. So uh, uh, only because an angel in human form at High V looked at us and said, I'm not giving you a money order to send to somebody else Who's, buying, you're supposed, who's supposed to be buying something from you. I'm not going to do this. And then we found out the check he sent us was bad. The company with the website does not really exist. The only thing real that was about to happen was the money order we were going to send to pay for the shipping. This guy arranged all this. And he didn't have a fake business and all this to just cheat us. He's got all kinds of people out on the line because what he decided he wanted to do for Christmas was rip off a bunch of people. 
And he worked hard at it. We've all heard about sex trafficking, where women and children are kidnapped from this country, from other countries. They're put into shipping containers. They're taken to other places in the world. There they find customers who pay money to come and torture and abuse them. It takes a lot of people to make a system like that work. Do you remember how hard it was for us, this church, to send a shipping container full of clothing to Africa? Remember they wanted to get in and count every Q-tip, literally? Now how do you ship a container full of people without someone noticing? Because a bunch of people got bribed not to look. And then how do you find customers? Because there's people that like to come and torture others, to have that fake feeling of love without the possibility of rejection, and they're working hard at it. And that sin is what they get up in the morning and go to bed at night to make it happen. There are people who hate other races intensely. They believe in all their heart. By birth, I am better than an entire group of people God has created. A lot of people don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. Not now, not ever. And it's very hard for us to imagine that. We sing that beautiful song, Someday We'll Lay Our Swords Down. But there are people who answer. How will I feed my family if I can't go into a village and tell them to give me all their food or I'll chop your hand off? I don't want that world. I don't want that world. They're trying to tell us with every fiber of their being, I don't want your Jesus. I don't want his kingdom. I really don't want you. My perfect role to be if all that was gone. All you people, law enforcement, your peacekeeping forces, all that stuff you do to make it, I don't want it. In fact, I bribe as many of those people as I can to come to my side every day, if at all possible. And God can't come, come and wave his wand over those people and make them into something different. Because what is that? He just enslaved them. He just changed them into something they weren't. All he can do is offer them something better. But if they say no, for those people, hell exists. Hell is not punishment. We'd be well to just understand that. Hell is not punishment. Hell is the place where people who don't want to follow Jesus fit. It's the place where God is withdrawn and the people of God are withdrawn. Some theologians have theorized that those in hell won't mind it as much as you and I might think because it resembles so closely the world they wanted to make all along. Now, the trick of it all is is that when all that happens, it's far worse than they imagined. It's an unpleasant surprise how bad it really is because that's what Satan always does. He says, this over here will be a better world without God. And then he gets you there, and it's not. And that's, that's the, the trick of all hell. But the judge of all humanity says, for those who do not want to be part of the kingdom, this is where that all fits. It's the place where God isn't. He doesn't make it tormenting and vile and horrible. It's just what it is. It's just a place without God is tormenting, vile, and horrible. God didn't make it that way. That's just what it is. Now, the questioner asks, could God have taken away the need for the sacrifice of Jesus completely? Intellectually, I could say yes, but realistically, I have to say I doubt it. I doubt it. Because without the sacrifice of Jesus, there wouldn't be any way that any of us really know 
that God forgives us. Because here's what happens. Uh, this pile of people I'm talking about who love sin, uh, I was in it. I have been in it. But every week around here, people walk away from this. Every week here in this sanctuary, people turn away from rampant and meaningless sexuality to something else. Every week around here, people turn away from crazy spending and self-indulgence and debt and turn to something else. Every week around here, uh, people turn away from self-hate, self-abuse, self-worship. And some weeks, I wake up having turned away from it and find myself right back in it again, doing this stuff again. I have to turn away again. And we have difficulty believing God forgives us for what happened here. I talk to you all. I know I have difficulty. We have difficulty believing God forgives us for what happened when we were here. And that's with the cross of Jesus to look at. Without the cross of Jesus. You see, Jesus isn't up there buying off God. This may be a different theology for you. Jesus is not up there paying off God. Jesus is up there revealing who God always was to us. Jesus is the one who says, I love you, to which we say, oh, yeah, I know. No, no, I love you. Thanks. No. I'm coming to be with you. Merry Christmas. That, that was nice. No, I'll do anything for you. I'll heal you. I'll die for you. No, look, I am dying for you. I am dying for you. And only in that moment when we see the cross do we go, oh my God, he meant it. He does love me. He did show up and he will do anything. The judge is demonstrating what God was all the time, forgiving and when that happens, now there's no one left with any clout who can judge you for whatever it was that went on here. Your parents can't hold it against you anymore. Your old friends can't hold it against you anymore. The devil himself can't hold it against you anymore. You can't hold it against yourself anymore. Because you see the judge who judges all things paying for it himself and saying, this is who I really am. I don't want your blood for that. I give my blood for that. Take away the sacrifice of Jesus and we'll be just left with a lot of questions about, well, if you forgave me, why did all this go? Or at worst, it'll leave us with a very cheap view of sin that it doesn't matter. So my answer is that God doesn't send people to hell. People choose hell over God. And if we take away the sacrifice of Jesus, we probably would not really be able to believe that God loves us and forgives us. So we looked out and we said, yes, there does in fact seem to be something out there. So let's now go on a journey. Next leg, let's get on a backpack and let's ask these questions. How do we get there? This place where God is, heaven. How do we get there? Here's the question you asked. Someone quoted Jesus in the Gospel of John in their question. No one comes to the Father except by me. And then wrote, very hard to accept. What did Jesus mean? And my answer is going to be that Jesus shows us the only real way to heaven. And now I'll explain that answer. 
We have all thought God was holding out on us, right? That's the original sin of the Garden of Eden. I give you everything. You can eat of any tree in the garden, right? Except the tree of knowledge. And what did we as humans do? Wait, there's one we can't eat off of? I'll bet it's the best one. Let's go over there. Get me one while you're over there, okay? That's what we did. This is why we are not as generous as we should be. We all want to be generous. We all want to give and believe that God will provide for us, but we don't. We're not so sure he's going to provide for us, so mostly we just use our money and time and treasures to take care of ourselves. That's why we're not as moral as we should be. We all want to believe the way Jesus told us to live will bring us all the happiness, fulfillment, and joy we could ask for. We don't really believe that. So that's why we do all these stupid sins that always end up disappointing, not delivering, embarrassing us. That's why we do that. That's why we're not as peaceful as we should be. We'd like to believe God is going to protect us and defend us. We don't really think he's going to, so that's where we get our guns and bombs and assassination squads, and we're going to take care of ourselves that way. We heard what God said to do, but we thought to ourselves, I'm not so sure. Maybe I'll take one of those apples. Actually, get me two while you're over there. But God sent Jesus to rescue us from that way of thinking. That's one of what it means, uh, of the many things it means to be saved from our sin, to be saved from that way of thinking of God's holding out on me. He's not really going to do what he said he's going to do. Jesus rescues us from that way of thinking. And Muhammad was not the one sent to do that for us. And Buddha was not the one sent to do that for us. And Tom Cruise and L. Ron Hubbard are not the ones sent to do that for us. Now, I don't have an intellectual way to prove that they were not sent by God. I have only faith in the scripture story as I read it. And then I have my own observations about what those people have and have not brought to the world. And I really, really, really don't think they were the ones sent for us. My son, uh, when he's four years old, I woke up one night, I could hear him crying in his room. So I go in and he says, oh, dad, my feet hurt. I was like, oh, son, you're growing. Growing's a cool thing, but yeah, it makes your feet hurt. So let me go get you some medicine. Great. So I go get the, you know, the children's Tylenol and I get the dropper and I come up and I go to give it to him. And he goes, no, no, no. I said, oh, son, you know, this is medicine. This will make your pain go away. Okay. So I reach down with the dropper, and he turns his face toward the wall. He's like, no, Dad, no. I'm like, man, do your feet hurt? Yes. Do you want the pain to go away? Yes. Do you know this medicine can do that? Yes. Do you want the medicine? Yes. Okay. So I go at him with the dropper, and he bats it out of my hand. That stuff's always red. And, and he bats it out of my hand. I said, what's the problem? He said, put it on my feet. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Now, I'm not being mean and exclusive because I won't put the dropper, you know, on his feet or on his hands. It just, you just got to drink this one. That's not me being crabby or unkind. It's just, that's the one that's come. God's not being crabby or unkind because he won't drop any old savior on our hands and feet. But Jesus came, and with his hands and feet, he heals us, and that's the one who came. 
and there just isn't anyone else coming for us in Christian theology. There's rumors that there's others who have come for us. We do not believe there's anyone else who's come for us. This is, this is the way. And so my answer is that Jesus shows us the real way to heaven. And it's not unkind. It's wonderful, wonderful that he came to give us that. Can a non-Christian come to God through Jesus? Is a slightly different question, which we'll get to in a moment. Okay, we got our backpack, we got our walking stick, we're on our journey. How do we get to heaven? One of you asked, why do so many Christians obsess about going to heaven? When instead we are promised a new heaven and a new earth. Where did the message get misinterpreted? Uh, this is a really brilliant question. These are anonymous, so I don't know who fills them out. But if that was you, that's a smart question, and I thank you. And my answer is, uh, the questioner is right. Heaven is not a place we march off to. It's a place we step into, or better yet, are brought into. It's a place where God is. In fact, it's the place Jesus is going to bring to us a new heaven and a new earth brought back together. So the questioner is right. I shouldn't be up here wearing a backpack and a walking stick acting like we're trying to find our way um, off somewhere. I'm just trying to make a metaphor. You know what I mean? Like I could have made the message, let's take a journey toward mental health. But you, you know, it's really not in Chicago or something. We're just gonna, you know, walk, walk, walk. Oh, surprise, it's right back here. Okay, so um, it's just a metaphor. The questioner is right. It's a little misleading because uh, the Bible doesn't teach us that we're going off to heaven, rather that heaven is being brought to us. Remember in the Garden of Eden, humans live forever. They had all they need and God was with them. Now, if that's not heaven. Humans live forever. They had all, their need, all they need and God is with them. It was sin that split those things apart. And what does Jesus say? I'm gonna take you over to the other side. Look at the light. No, Jesus said, I will come back to you and make all things new. You knew he said that. He said it a lot. Uh, Acts chapter 1, where the church begins, disciples are staring off into heaven, and an angel says, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he'll return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. And the angel goes on to say, so, you know, Get busy. you got stuff to do. Get off the hill. Acts chapter 3, one of the first sermons of the church. Peter says, A time of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. He will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. For he must remain in heaven for a time, uh, for the time of the final restoration of all things. He'll come to restore. As God promised long ago through his holy prophets. Peter's saying, you knew this all along. Read your prophets again. New heaven, new earth. When did this message get misinterpreted? Real early, real early from paganism. Because the pagans, when they, and, and that's all of us at one time in history, uh, when they imagined God, it was always like this. It was always like this. Uh, the gods, they live on Olympus over there. It's cool. Here, lame. Right? They were doing the same thing up in Scandinavia. Thor and Loki and all, you know, all that family drama. But they had that, all, where did the gods live? Oh, across the Rainbow Bridge up there in Asgard. It's, it's awesome. Here, not awesome. The Egyptians did it too. Where does everybody go? Well, oh, the gods, they all live in the land of the dead. Actually, I thought the Egyptian one sounds creepy on both sides, but they seem to like it. 
Uh, only the king could go there, so it was kind of a country club anyway. But anyways, it's over there, and here, definitely lame. Now, God comes and say, no, 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 that was never the story. Remember when you lived forever, and I walked with you, and you had all you need? That was what I made this to be. Sin split it apart, but I'm going to bring it back together and restore all things. And we said, that's awesome. So when do we get to go where you are over there? I mean, just immediately our paganism leaked right back in. But if we have the right eyes to see, we'll see that heaven is really all around us, waiting to be revealed by Christ, a new heaven, a new earth. And thank you, questioner, for reminding us of that. So my answer is not that heaven is a place to go off to. It's a place to step into, better yet, a place that God brings us into, a place where Jesus makes all things new, a new heaven and a new earth brought back together again. In fact, you find these Bible verses about the earth being burned in fire. You need a little extra Greek to see it's a refining fire. Because back then, you know, they'd take a lump of junk and they'd put it in fire and it'd burn all the rock and what would you be left with? Pure silver. This is the description of the fire that passes over the earth. The earth is made new by the fires of God and what is left is the pure and original creation. So thank you, questioner. Chunky. Okay, we've got our backpack, we've got our stick, and metaphorically, we're trying to find our way into heaven. And one of you asked uh, this, this great two asked this. One said, what happens when you die then in relation to that coming of Jesus? And another of you asked, when we die, go to sleep or go to heaven? Great questions. I bet almost all of you have had this question. I, I have had this question too. Here we go. We have... First, a couple of interesting verses, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul says, yes, we are fully confident. We know this. We would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we'll be at home with the Lord. So that he implies, before resurrection, away from the bodies, you're with God. No waiting. Uh, Jesus says something similar in Luke chapter 23. Jesus replied I, to the thief on the cross, right, who just called him Lord. He says, I assure you today you'll be with me in paradise. No waiting. Good. Now, we had a pile of verses that I could pour out of a dump truck on you, but it's a little short of time, that say these things, and you've heard them, those who have fallen asleep, those who are awaiting Christ's return. At the return of Christ will be a loud trumpet, and the dead, will, those who have fallen asleep, rather, it says, will be raised, and we'll join with them if we're still alive, and all will receive the judgment and the reward of Christ together. Okay, so that implies you're kind of, you know, asleep or something and, and waiting. Okay, in some of these verses, they were probably painting a word picture, and in some of these verses, they meant it a little more, and now they're all dead, and we can't ask them which ones were which. But we've got two piles. So my best guess, and it is a guess, guess alert, is that uh, when we die, and for all of you who have lost uh, someone in the last few years, uh, we are in some way in the presence of God. No waiting. And that is life after death. But then somewhere after that comes the restoration of all things, a life after life after death. A resurrection, a new kingdom, a renewed earth, the reign of Christ. I am 45% certain of the correctness of this answer. 
So gather up in little knots out in the lobby after this and I guess decide what you think. Because if you ask me next Tuesday, I'm probably just as likely to say, yet I wonder if it might not be like falling asleep on a long car trip. You know, like you're going to Colorado and you fall asleep in the triangle as a passenger, not the driver. And you fall asleep in the Grandview Triangle and you wake up and you're in Denver. And it seems like you were right there, no waiting, but no, you slept through Kansas. I, I sometimes I wonder if it might not be like that. I'm 45% certain of the things that I speak because I have both Bible verses. So uh, talk amongst yourselves. What I'm sure of is the presence of God and the reign of Christ is coming. Now we're just talking about time and space. And he didn't tell me. So take your guess and have a good time. Oh, we made it. Lo and behold, we're at the gate. So let's put down the walking stick and the backpack. And we're just inside the gates of heaven now, and there's all kinds of other people here. So let's get the hors d'oeuvre tray out. In my hell talk earlier, I used really extreme examples just to help us understand the necessity of hell. But one has to wonder if there isn't a place for worship leaders who try to trick their pastors into eating a styrofoam piece of bread in front of everyone. But that'll be for someone else to decide. It's not for me to judge the eternal destiny of another. Okay, so here we are just inside the gates of heaven. So we got our hors d'oeuvre tray because we're going to walk around and ask this question. Who else is here? Let's meet who else is here. And one of you asked how many other people are here? Okay, here's the question. The Bible says there are a limited number of people going to heaven. How can we be assured we are one of them? Seems hopeless. Aren't there enough Mother Teresas out there to add up to that number? What if we aren't outgoing, gifted, or dynamic enough to make that kind of difference? I'm an introvert. I can tell an introvert wrote this question. What if there's so many people who are like, yeah, Jesus, and then we come up, what'd you ever do? I read some books. You know, and, and I could tell an introvert wrote this question. I know, I bet there's people ahead of me who are cooler. Okay. This question, though, fell off the rails with the opening clause. The Bible says there are a limited number of people going to heaven. Uh, my answer is that there is room for everyone who is willing to be in the kingdom of God and follow Jesus. The Bible did not say that only a limited number of people would be let in. The belief that a limited number of people will be allowed into heaven is a belief of Je the Jehovah's Witnesses and maybe some other Christian groups, I'm, you know, semi-Christian groups I'm not aware of. Um, but it's just not true. It's just not true. The closest, uh, by the way, even the Jehovah's Witnesses who say 144,000 people get into heaven, when their own church membership exceeded 144,000, then had a new theology. There's another 144,000 who are led in by a different gate. Okay. Um, I, I think I see what we're doing. So uh, the closest you can get to the Bible saying a limited number of people are going to heaven is where it's, and they, they show you this on your front porch if you, you don't slam the door and actually look at the magazine. And there's a verse in Revelation that says 144,000 saints are around the throne of God. Now, even that doesn't say, and not one other person was let in. But actually, Revelation isn't saying that at all. Okay, here's what's going on in the Revelation. Revelation uses numerology. Americans only use a little numerology. We know seven's lucky and 13's unlucky, and that's about it. Big deal for them. In fact, if you take the numbers 3, 4, 6, 7, 12, and 1,000 out of Revelation, you have almost no numbers left. 
three, four, six, 12, and 1,000. You have very few numbers left if you were to take all those out because all those numbers meant something. And 12 is the number of, of nations, of people. This is why God says uh, to Abraham, I'm going to bless all the world through your descendants, beginning with 12 tribes. They, the 12 represents, I'm reaching all people, but I gotta start somewhere, so I start with this group of 12 tribes. Jesus, this is why he picks how many disciples? You guys could get a Bible degree. Okay, 12 to say, my message is for the whole world, but I will begin with these 12 who will represent all. So here's what's going on in Revelation. How many people are around the throne of God? 12 times 12 times 1,000. How many people are around the throne of God? The nations. Times the nations. Still not enough. Times 1,000. There's room for all around the throne of God. And somebody read that and go, I bet there won't be 144,001. Missed the point. Missed the point of that beautiful picture. Jesus said it much more plainly in John chapter 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's house. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Okay, we got our hors d'oeuvre tray. Who else is here at these gates? There's more than 144,000, evidently. Um, some of you ask, how old are these people? One of you asked, if a child passes before coming to Christ due to age, do they still get into heaven? And, and one of you tightened it right down to the question of questions. If a two-week-old baby dies, does he or she go to heaven? I believe it is now the teaching of nearly every, well, it is the teaching of every major Christian group on earth now um, that children receive eternal life. Now, if you grew up Catholic or were influenced by someone who grew up Catholic before 1950, you might have been taught that their uh, unbaptized babies are sentenced to limbo, a place neither heaven nor hell. Um, I'm always surprised by this, but how many of you were taught that? Yeah, incredible. I would want you to know that the previous two popes, Pope John Paul II and Pope Benedict, both said... Uh, that was never to be taught in the church. It was an idea that theologians were kicking around, and it got popular, but no one in the church ever said, that's official teaching, and, and we want it to stop being taught in the churches. It never belonged, and we want to come right out and say, don't say that. So now uh, every Christian group on earth has said, God's love, Christ's sacrifice, it saves children. So I need to get some fruit snacks on this tray, evidently, because there's a lot of children around the throne of God. Do we see any non-Christians here? Here's what one of you asked. For people who are geographically isolated and they never heard about Jesus, do they go to heaven? What about people who are devout followers of other religions that believe in God? It just, Christianity wasn't the thing in the country where they're from. Do they go to heaven? My answer is going to be uh, that it is not our place to decide this. And that's not a cop-out answer. I, I mean, it is not our place to decide that. 
All we know, and we know this, is that we're supposed to share the good news with the whole world. We know that. Jesus' last words, you choose your last words carefully. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now let's explain the answer. Our sin is serious, serious business. We sing a worship song here, um, not today, but other days. I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon the cross. And when we sing that, we affirm, I'm grateful for the cross, but I truly don't know the fullness of the forgiveness that's happening there and the depth of depravity that is uncovered in me. Our sin is serious business and there's not one person in the world who can jump up in God's face and go, I'm so good, give me that hors d'oeuvre tray. I'm so good, I know that this is for me. Show me where the big throne is. There's no one who can can take that attitude with God. Now, you will say that about other people. You will say, in college I had a Jewish friend, he was the most wonderful person I ever met, he's definitely going before the throne of God, right? You'll say that about your grandparents. Guys, I say this about my grandpa. There's no way St. John Leahy, the most perfect man who ever lived, is not around the throne of God. But, you know what? Someday your children will say this about you. Your grandchildren especially. Maybe not your kids. They were there. Your grandkids? They're going to say you were all light and hope and peace. But you know different, don't you? In fact, my grandpa, who was wonderful, you know, he knows where he was as a single guy in German villages with no men left in World War II. He knows where he was thumbing rides and hopping trains through the Great Depression. He knows where he was living in an orphanage and all these roads he's been through. He knows things that probably I can't really see Grandpa John, you know, in front of God going, yeah, I don't even need to talk to you and you don't need to talk to me. Come on, man. I can't see him doing that. So, it shouldn't surprise us if we're standing here at the gates of heaven and there's nobody here. It shouldn't surprise us to hear, yeah, the idea was to follow God, heck, any God, you know, and just do it right and no one could do it. But it would surprise us if heaven was empty, wouldn't it? It shouldn't surprise us, but it would surprise us if heaven was empty. Why is that? Because we heard God was loving, didn't we? We heard he was forgiving. Now, where did we hear that? Muhammad did not tell us that. Allah is not described as forgiving. He's described as just. Buddha did not tell us that. In fact, there isn't even a God to be forgiving in the official teachings. So, uh, who told us that? Jesus told us that. Which leads to the very logical question this person is asking. How loving? How loving then? How far does that grace go? And here is my honest answer. I don't know. I don't know. And I know this. It's not the job of any human to know or decide that. The scripture does say that. Don't judge the eternal destiny of another. Who does that? God does that. God does that. So he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. So if God requires everyone to have heard about Jesus, responded to him, be baptized, and then that's how you go to heaven, if that's what God said is the way it is, who are we to say anything about that? Then that's the way it is. 
And if Jesus wants to extend his grace to others who were isolated, never heard, grew up in a different culture, the only Christian example they ever had was a really bad one. Um, if he wants to extend his grace to those and they're all in heaven too, we'll rejoice and we'll be glad, but it wasn't our call, was it? It was his call. All we know, and we know this, is that we're supposed to share the good news of God's love and make disciples. So it's fine to ask questions like this. It really, really is, but don't get bogged down. Far better to get up off our rear and actually do the things we know rather than just agonize over what we do not know and aren't supposed to know because it's not up to us. Far better to do what he said to do and leave the rest in the hands of that all-knowing, all-loving, almighty God. So you'll never hear me up here saying, oh, we got to spread the gospel in China or all those people are going to hell. They might, but I don't know that, and that's not my call. You will hear me say, we've got to spread the gospel to all those people in China and Africa and South America and in our own community and right here in this room because I know this, because this happened to me and this happened to a bunch of people I know. Jesus saves people. Jesus brings salvation. Jesus sets us free from ways of thinking that don't trust God. And he sets us free from our sin. And those, and, and you, and they're all our brothers and sisters. And we have good news to share with them. So my answer is, again, it's not our place to decide what happens to those who are far from Jesus. We have an all-knowing God who's perfectly capable of sorting that out. All we know we're supposed to do is share the good news with the whole world. It's the right thing to do because it brings hope and it brings freedom, no matter what the answer to the eventual question is. And now we're out of time, but we're, you're definitely not out of questions. Now, you still have lots of questions. Uh, some of you asked, and we'll take this up next week, is there anyone missing then from heaven? Maybe everyone's here. So we'll take that question up next week. Some of you asked if you need certain prayers or certain sacraments like baptism to enter heaven. We'll take that up next week. Some of you got a little spicy, asked, is there going to be sex in heaven? <laughs> yeah, okay. We'll take a stab at it. Um, some of you asked, are there different levels to heaven? That's intriguing. And there's a lot more questions that you had, and we will take that journey and continue our tour from the gates on into the city next week. But think about what we've said this morning about reaching everyone with the good news. Because I bet you all have a family member or a coworker or a friend or a neighbor who had all these same questions. And they would have liked to have been here and heard all this. They might not even agreed with all of it, but they would have liked to have heard it. So think about them this week and, and pray for an opportunity that God might bring you to say a little bit of what you heard or share it with them in some way and invite them to come and hear the second half of the tour. I bet they'd be curious, just like you're curious about these things. And if you've already invited someone to church, uh, think about this next step. The person you invited, are they getting connected? Sometimes we forget. We drop them off here and then we forget to ask them, are you in a small group? I totally, you know, you could be in my small group. Have you taken the Lakeland Essentials thing where you learn about the history of the church? I'll take it with you. Or I'll go to the women's thing with you. See, they like you, us. They're, not, they're wondering if maybe we're weird. So, but they'll go to almost anything here in the church and learn more if you'll go with them. So, so talk to the, the person you've invited and been bringing. See if you can help them take a next step. Are you connected? Do you have friends? you feel like you're growing? I'll do something with you. 
Um, if you want, I'd love to meet um, anyone I haven't gotten to meet yet. There's a little pastor with, uh, they call it coffee with pastors, but I think it's really juice and water and cookies. I guess you can get, we'll get you coffee if you really want it, I promise. So, but it's right outside these doors. I'd love to meet anyone I haven't gotten to meet yet. So let us stand together and we'll receive the good word. These are from the words of Jesus. He said, in my father's house, there are many rooms and I'm going to prepare one for you. So don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's house. If that weren't true, would I be telling you that I'm going to go make a room for you? Now in that knowledge, we can go in peace and we can share with others because there's a room for them too and be ashamed to have any empty rooms. So go forth in the peace and power and the assurance of Christ. Amen.